I am Deanna. I'm part of the pastoral team here, uh, and it's my pleasure to welcome you and joining us. Our team and our faithful community have been working hard uh, through this series to help us all develop and establish or reinvigorate those six things we know are proven to help us grow in our faith. And I'm just so glad that you can join us as uh, we finish this up. I've been hearing some pretty exciting stories, as Pastor Stan alluded to, from some of you as you've put into practice, maybe for the first time, some of these habits. The stories have come in, and it's been so encouraging. For myself, I know that my daughters and I, I, I really felt just moved when I got back from a holiday, feeling a little bit refreshed and my mind working again, uh, that I thought, you know, I want to do something with this and challenge my daughters because it's something I've not really done before since they were little. And so we started using the quiet time tool and sharing together uh, in a message group uh, what we get out of it every day. We do that Monday through Friday, uh, I guess, because they didn't do it yesterday. I didn't do it yesterday. I was busy working on this. But Julia, I have yours. She likes a paper copy, so I'll bring that home to you later. She doesn't live with us, but uh, I'll drop it off at her house so that we can continue that. If you don't like paper copies, you can access it on our app or got a copy when you came through the door today. That will continue. It just, it'll, this will end the series that, we've, that goes along with what our preaching series has been about. Then we'll pick back up the regular monthly quiet time. But it's good to celebrate those stories as we grow together, isn't it? I think it's really exciting. Did you know that you can actually go back if you've missed any in the series or maybe missed a podcast or didn't even know we had a podcast that... Um, you can catch these on our channel. So we have many channels uh, making that available to you to catch up or maybe just reinforce for you what, um, what has been being taught as we try to grow in our faith. Well, recently after worship one Sunday, a kid said to one of the pastors here, when I grow up, I'm going to give some of my money to you. Well, thank you, was the pastor's reply. But Why? And the kid replied, because my daddy says that you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. <laughs> I hope that's not your experience today. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about a touchy topic and the area in our final installment of our Six Habits to Grow Your Faith series on giving. Does God really want my money? We're going to unpack that a little bit, and I thought if I started by lightening the mood with a little bit of humor, that it might help us set you at ease, because I know this is a really touchy topic. I've seen it throughout the course of my ministry career and life. It gets touchy at work. It gets touchy at home. It causes a lot of marital difficulties, talking about finance, and it's a touchy thing in church. Churches say, oh, I don't like how the, or people say, I don't like how the church is spending my money, so I'm just not going to give any more. Or when they've given to mission, they think, oh, that missionary's taking expensive holidays. Never mind, they only live next door to the country they just visited or whatever. But I'm not going to give them anymore. They're misappropriating those funds. So I know it can be a touchy topic, but if you stick with me, I hope you'll be able to find some freedom as you understand God's purpose for giving. Okay? So as we go through that, in our traditional home, I'll tell you a story from my life. In our traditional home, dad, my dad worked hard to provide for our family, and my mom worked hard at home and occasionally in a part-time job. We had a very traditional home. 
uh, and she helped out in that way. I grew up knowing the value of a dollar, as I'm sure many of you here did. And I also learned the importance of giving. In the early days, my mom led the way in our Christian um, practice. And my dad trailed behind her until he caught up with her finally. And a story that I heard repeatedly was how mom got my thrifty dad to tithe. Now, for, um, my dad was one of chil uh, 10 children. So when I grew up, dad was quite frugal. And my mom would call him tight or a tightwad. He didn't appreciate that. <laughs> so he, he liked to be called thrifty. We never had a new car. He always fixed the old ones. And he was, you know, he was an electrician. He worked very hard. Um, but when my mom challenged dad about this concept of tithing, dad really pushed back hard. And for those of you that don't know what that means, we'll cover it in just a moment. But in a nutshell, it's setting aside a percentage of your income or your earnings and giving it to God's work, usually the local church that you attend regularly. Now, after much nagging, my dad finally caved in. I did use the word nagging. Um, with a fine, this is all we'll have to live on for the month if we do this, and you'll have to deal with it. He thought he had her. So when at the end of the month, they not only survived but thrived, and my dad scratched his head, dad had tested God to quiet my mom. That was his purpose, and God surprised him. And it was never the same after that. If my parents were in this room today, they're uh, in the States, I'm going to see them soon, they would both tell you that you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And you know, giving has been a value in our own home. We raised four children on a pastor's salary, and that was challenging at times. Um, but giving has been a value for us. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I, I don't remember a time that we didn't do that. It was partly how I was raised. It was partly Stan's Bible college training. It was something that we, we've just done almost as long as I can remember. And it's something that I have very intentionally tried to pass on to my children because I didn't want them to be always expecting. I wanted them to learn the gift of giving. And I think that it worked because when they were little, one of the ways I tried to instill this in them was I would go do the Christmas shopping and then I would lay it all out for all the other siblings in, on the bed, in our, in our bedroom. And I would invite them in one at a time and say, okay, this is what we have to give this year. What do you want to give to your brother? What do you want to give to your sister? And they would pick a gift and we would wrap it. They would put it under the tree. And you know what I observed as a parent? That when Christmas morning came... They were more excited about that gift that they had to give. They wanted to give all those gifts to their family members than they were about getting their own gifts. And it was such a beautiful expression of what it looks like and what God says. Because you know what? God's word tells us it is more blessed or more, more you get something back inside of you to give than it is to receive. And I saw this lived out in my own home. And, it, and as I look at my children as adults today, those lessons stuck. They are generous givers to this day. And it just, I watch them and I just shake my head and I praise God. And it does my heart, mom heart, good. I'm so blessed uh, to watch it in my own children as adults. But why is this so important? I mean, yeah, that, that's a good story. But we as pastoral leaders here in this place believe that regular, planned, habitual giving is a fundamental growth step in the life of growing believers, okay? I'll say that again. 
We believe that regular, planned, habitual giving is a fundamental growth step in the life of a growing believer. Now, in the book, The Purpose Driven Life, many of you may be familiar with that, Rick, Pastor Rick Warren had this to say about giving in his chapter on thinking like a servant. If you're not familiar with this resource, it created a global discipleship movement in the 90s. It, it was over 12 million copies sold uh, to date, maybe more even now as I say that. But it says this, he said this, servants think like stewards, not owners. To become a real servant, you're going to have to settle the issue of money in your life. Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That was Jesus speaking in Luke 16. Uh, Rick Warren went on to say, he did not, Jesus did not say you should not or you cannot. He said, I'm sorry, let me start again. He didn't say you should not, but you cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. Money has the greatest potential to replace God in your life. Did you know that? More people are sidetracked from serving by materialism than by anything else. How sobering is that? It's a sobering reality. Money has this power over us. Our world, you know, at any time I hear anything, I always think, what's, what, what, it's about money. You can trace just about anything back to pride and, and the love of money is the root of all evil. We know that. I ran across um, one way to kind of tackle this as we plan our giving. And let me see what you think about this. Three religious leaders were having a coffee together while discussing how they managed their giving. The pastor shared, I draw a circle on the ground. I throw the money up in the air. Whatever lands inside the circle, I keep for myself. And whatever lands outside, I give to the Lord. Well, the priest said, well, my process is similar. I draw my circle, I throw my money up, and I keep whatever lands outside the circle. Then I give what's inside the circle to the Lord. Well, the rabbi had them all beat. He replied, he says, I don't draw a circle at all. I throw the money up in the air, whatever God wants, he keeps. <laughs> in case you're wondering, that is not a biblical way to plan your giving, Okay. Biblical giving starts with having a proper mindset about it, okay? It starts in our mind. Otherwise, we run, in, we run some risk of becoming either cynical about it. We become suspicious or cynical when we hear of all the scammers out there. We start getting really protective of our resources because everybody's out to get them. Or we hear stories of fiscal impropriety in businesses and even in churches. And it causes us to be really cynical and not trust anybody, or we get really emotional, especially as Christians, we get really emotional about this thing called giving. And, you know, we, we look for whatever it is that pulls our heartstrings at that moment. And it's like, oh, that pulled my heartstrings, I'll give. And that's not a good way. That's not really planning it, is it? And, you know, I noticed something when I was back in the uh, States a few years ago is that all of these commercials, we do, we do mostly streaming, so we don't see commercials. So they may be here too. But I noticed in the States, commercial after commercial, tugging the heartstrings of people with sad pictures of of hurting animals and things like that, or all kinds of different things, trying to get people to tug at those heartstrings and get money for uh, these different causes. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but often we're not prayerful about our giving like we need to be. It's a spiritual habit, remember that. So to develop the right mindset, we have to settle the issue of who we are giving to. Let me unpack this a little bit. 
uh, there are two, really two main types of giving mindsets, horizontal and vertical. And we wanna, if we wanna answer this question, who are you giving to, we need to answer, well, is my giving horizontal or is it giving vertical? And what I mean by that, horizontal giving, horizontal, vertical, right? Horizontal giving is really based on a worldly mindset, okay? And it's comprised really of givers and takers. It looks a little bit like this. We have givers and we have takers. Notice anything about that? The givers is a little bit higher than the takers because we give down. We see this a lot in mission, early mission, not so much today. But we see people, you know, giving because they have more to give and, you know, we see takers and it creates this thing called dependency, which we know is a bad thing. Teach a man to fish or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for a life. So that, that worldly or horizontal giving mindset of givers and takers is, is unhelpful often. It's motivated often by self-interest on some level asking the question, what's in it for me? It is a transactional type of giving with strings often attached, which benefit the giver in some way because it seeks to bring glory to self. Look what a good person I am. I maybe want to influence power or have influence or power or control or a say or build a reputation for myself by giving. This whole idea of corporate social responsibility, a lot of corporations now have uh, gotten into this and they're doing it maybe out of the goodness of their heart, but I would venture to say it's probably to increase their reputation so you like them better. So you'll buy their stuff and they make more money. The focus in this worldly giving or this vertical giving, vertical, horizontal, horizontal giving, it's, it's temporal. It's on the here and now. Um, I will add to this that, you know, the whole idea of uh, somebody that doesn't follow God can give... I was thinking about this. I'm thinking, I know people that aren't God followers, that are givers, and they get a lot of joy out of that. And I was contemplating this. Why? Why is it? It doesn't seem really selfish from them. But I thought, you know, all humans are made in the image of our loving and giving God. God so loved that he gave. And his truth holds true that it is more blessed to give to receive even in a non-believer's experience. And they experience the joy of that truth. So I see, clear, I see this so clearly in my daughter-in-law. I've never seen anybody more excited to receive gifts and, and so excited to give gifts. And she's not a Christ follower yet. This, to me, is evidence of God's fingerprints on his creation. So I just want to add that to that thought of the horizontal giving. But vertical giving starts with a godly mindset. Vertical giving understands the reality that everything we have comes from God, our maker. Our abilities, our talents, our jobs, and our very life and breath, all are his. We know that. We are merely caretakers, or the, the real Christian word is stewards or stewardship. We want to practice this idea of stewardship, where we understand that we're just taking care of what God has put into our hands, including our own lives and the lives of our family members. Um, this vertical mindset looks a little bit like this. It's comprised of givers and receivers rather than takers. And the dependency is on God. And this requires a prayerful approach. So we see that, you know, the giver receives from God and his giving, even though it goes across to a receiver, he really is giving that to God and releasing it. 
And then this receiver is receiving from God, even though it came from this person over here maybe, or this organization, but they see it as they had prayed for that, God provided for them, they receive this gift, and they give glory back to God for providing for their needs. So both are glorifying God in the end, which is vertical giving, a godly mindset. This creates this dependency on God rather than on another person. And it requires this prayerful approach. And, you know, it's motivated by love and obedience because it seeks to bring that glory to God, asking, what does God want? What does God want? That's why it needs to be prayerful. You know, and the focus is eternal because it's investing in God's kingdom and what God is doing. When it comes to our Christian life, we need to remember to think vertically, not horizontally. Our giving should be as unto God. Jesus said it this way when he was teaching his disciples. In Matthew, it says this, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the crowd responded, what? What are you talking about? When did we do that? I don't remember doing that. Do you remember doing that? No, I don't remember doing that. What is he talking about? He said this, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it unto me. You see, that giving, that, that serving, and all that we do is that it's like giving to God. We have to have that vertical mindset. Vertical mindset giving looks a bit like this in the overarching picture. Both the giver and receiver look to God, as mentioned, to supply all of their needs according to his riches as he works out his purpose in building his kingdom for eternity. His church is at the center his church, and Christ is the head of the church. And we know the church isn't just this local church. We're an expression of the church. And Christ is the head of the body, the church. We know that. They're at the center. And he's working out his purpose in building his kingdom across eternity. And, you know, look what happens. As it flows out, it benefits local and global communities in, a, in a, an effort of reconciliation or restoration and leading people to Christ. That is what the giving is about. That is what we exist for, to share Christ. And as the church is responding to God's plan, and communities are restored, and the giver and receivers participate in God's plan, their faith grows as they learn to rely upon and trust God as their provider, developing a sense of gratitude, which then produces this peace and contentment in their lives, rather than that anxiety, oh, am I going to have enough to get through the month? They're saying, no, God's going to provide. I don't know how, but he's going to do it. The Bible, this, all of this brings glory, honor, and praise to God. Hallelujah. I want to read it right from the source. Paul was writing to the Philippians, and he said this, At the moment, I have all I need, and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this saying, same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. That's what it looks like. That is that vertical giving.
Now, since giving is important, how do we develop that as a habit? So we're talking about habits. Well, you know, I, as I unpack this this week in my own thinking, it helps to go back to the beginning in scriptures to understand the principle of tithing. And I intentionally say that, the principle of tithing. Now, the, this could be an old concept for a lot of you. You said, I've grown up in church, I've heard of tithing. Um, and I know many of you probably have no idea what the word tithe or tithing even means. Well, I'm going to help you with that. I alluded to it in my, the lesson from my parents in my childhood. But what does scripture say about this? And as I was looking at, I've been doing a read through the Bible. I do that every, I try to do it every year, at least every other year, read through a whole, the whole entire Bible in a year. Uh, it's about, it's some big chunks every single day. I do that in different versions so I can just compare them all and, and stuff. So I've been doing that. This, and I've been doing that on the treadmill, listening to it as I follow along and, and makes my treadmill time go a little bit easier. And uh, I'll get a few days behind so that I have longer on the treadmill. That's my strategy. <laughs> but um, I've been in the, the five, first five books of the Bible where there's a lot of stuff about the law, and I've just been blown away at the, the precision and the, the specificity that God has around offerings and, and wanting the best and the first fruits and all of that. And, and it's been just, it's kind of undergirded my thinking on this concept. So as I started preparing, I thought, let me see the first occurrence of this practice. You know, it's actually found in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, a siege, what we, what we find in Genesis 14 is a siege had happened uh, where a, an enemy army came in to where Abra, Abram's nephew Lot was living with his family. In the, um, and the enemies came in and they pillaged the place. They took a bunch of people captive and all the stuff. And Abraham found out and he went after them. He assembled a small assembly and he went after them. And so, upon his return, he fought to get everybody and everything back, and he was returning, and we see this character called Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was known as the king of Salem. He was a priest of God Most High, blessed Abraham with this blessing, blessed be Abram, God, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. What happens next is then Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Now, I want to, you'll notice there's two references down there. I did that because this, often we think of tithing as, as it's uh, under the Mosaic law, so therefore it doesn't apply to us today. And this, this instance predates the law of Moses, okay? So we see this. Now, we do not have time to unpack for you today. I do not have time to unpack for you today. Can I get an amen, Stan? <laughs> Who Melchizedek is. But we know him as the king of Salem. Salem meaning peace. Um, in a nutshell, there's a, a theological concept known as a theophany. A theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, okay? God's son. Now, he has the ability to do that. And theologians have studied this out and tried to figure out who this person is without a mother and without a father. And, uh, and even the wording and, and what happened in that. In, in this little passage, it talks about Melchizedek brought wine and bread to Abraham. And I was sharing with Stan this week, and I said, you know, it just, it just struck me as like, that's what we use for communion, you know, bread and wine, juice. And, and this, is, this is, we see this symbolism happening right back there in the book of Genesis. 
It's, it's like a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so this pre-incarnate or pre-advent, if you will, because, you know, Christmas, the advent, that's when we know Jesus was born and came to earth as a man. This is a pre-incarnate or pre-advent uh, appearance of Jesus in this scenario. And we see Abram giving a tenth of his spoils back to God. Two into Melchizedek's hands, but back to God. And it was repeated, this, this story, just so you don't think, oh, that's just Old Testament. It's a repeated verbatim in Hebrews 7, 1 through 4. Tuck that back in the back of your mind. If we jump ahead, we see God's instructions throughout the law. And we don't have time to go through all of it. I would love to, uh, but you probably wouldn't love it. Maybe we'll have some, some lessons on giving more. You can join the CAP course with John. Maybe he'll help you get your personal finances in order so we can, uh, we can talk more about finance in the Bible. But the Bible talks more about money than a lot of other things. It's one of the most talked about things in Scripture. Um, so we can't unpack all of it. But if we look at God's law and instructions in the law about the tithe, we know that the Hebrew word is, and I don't speak Hebrew, but it's masa, ma'asa, ma'aser. I don't know. Phil, Phil can tell you what it really, how to really say that, I'm sure. Phil, our great Bible scholar here. But it means just a tenth. That's what the actual Hebrew word means is a tenth. So this tithe or this concept is giving a tenth. And God didn't want the seconds. He wanted the first fruits, the very best. In fact, in Deuteronomy, which is a repeating of the law, uh, Deuteronomy expands the law into 600 laws from 10 to 600 and some. You must set aside a tithe of your crops. One-tenth of all crops you harvest each year, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23. The purpose for this, God telling them to do this, was to teach them to fear or respect put God first. They needed that reminder. They needed that reminder constantly, as we see in the Old Testament. Solomon, who was a historical figure, he was a king, he was a leader, he was a son of David. Maybe you've heard of David. He wrote the Psalms. Uh, and Solomon was one of the wisest men on earth, and he was a leader of God's people. And he had this to say about giving in the book of Proverbs or the book of wisdom, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Who doesn't like a good wine? I do. <laughs> but we often get this back to front. We want him to bless us first and then we'll give. God says, give first and I will bless Consider these words from the Old Testament prophet Malachi, who was speaking on behalf of God to his people, as prophets did. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. Bring all the tithes. Notice it didn't stop with the tithes or the tenth, but it included offerings, tithes, and offerings. It starts with a tithe, and anything more than that is the offering. There are always ways we give over and above. There, there should be ways we give over and above our tithe. I want you to see what Malachi went on to say in the same passage. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, 
I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. That is straight from Scripture, guys. God says, try it and test me. I want you to try me. See what I'll do. Now, I want to make a disclaimer here. I don't want you to twist this like many have and end up with a horizontal give-to-get mindset. Remember, that's not good. We don't want that. That's a worldly mindset to give-to-get. But it's that vertical mindset of love, obey, and trust. That's a godly mindset. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, but isn't that all Old Testament law and we're not under the law anymore in this Jesus economy of grace? I want to challenge you to consider something. Consider if the tithing principle still applies. These are the words of Jesus. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid. Remember that? Get rid of anxiety, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions to give and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there is the desires, the desires of your heart will also be. You see, our heart often follows our money. God wants our, our heart to follow him and not worry about the money because God doesn't need your wallet. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills too. He doesn't need your wallet, but he wants your heart. And that's why this is a habit. A giving is a habit to grow your faith and trust in God. You know what? I won't tell you the church doesn't need your money. Of course it does. We have to pay the light bills and we have to pay the taxes and we have to pay for this building and we have to pay salaries for everybody that works here. But I don't want you for a moment to think that your giving is to this place. It might be in this place, but your giving is to the king of kings who gave you life. That is godly giving. So where are you with all of this? How are those habits going? Your faith, is it growing? I hope so. What steps do you need to take today as we close out this series? Let me just ask you some questions. I've been asking myself these questions. First of all, have you come to a place of deciding to give Jesus a fair go? In other words, are you a follower of Jesus? That's where it starts. The first step in growing in faith means becoming a God follower. If you don't know what that means, please come forward after the service and we'll have somebody up here to answer your questions, to pray with you, to talk with you, explain it more to you how you can do that. You don't even have to do that. You can do it right where you're at. You can just say, God, I want what she's talking about. I need to know this Jesus. But be sure to share with us or somebody to let us know that that's happened. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. Have you been able to make time for God's word lately? We've been challenging you on that. That's the first thing we started with. Make time for God's word daily. And you're not just reading it, but you're actually trying to put it into practice in your life. You know, we've talked about some stuff in God's Word today. How are you putting that into practice? You've got one more week to get started on the quiet time tool for the series. It's all about the sermon topic today. To look at some other verses on this topic of giving. Maybe give it a go. Maybe get with a couple other people because it helps to have some accountability. And say, hey, um, let's do our quiet time thing together. I'll send you a text when I've done mine. You send me a text and we'll do it together. And 
It always amazes me what other people get out of the same passage of God's word when we're able to share that together. And you don't have to do it in paper. You can look on the app. Simon's made that easy for us. And do you still need to commit time to seeking God through regular prayer? I was convicted about that. Faithful private and collective prayer, both are very, very important, as Pastor Anoke shared with us, because it releases God's power in your life. How's that going? How's that going? Do you still need to get connected through a life group or a serving team? It's never too late to sign up. We'll take you anytime. Just talk to somebody in the back when you go out after the service and we'll sign you up for something um, because we believe that faith grows in community. And I see people grow more through serving together or through unpacking things in their life group and doing life together than, than just coming on a Sunday morning is gonna do for you. And do you still need, um, let me ask you, how's your sharing going? Are you having those spiritual conversations as you look for opportunities to share hope with the people with whom God has crossed your path? You know, I'll, I'll confess to you, I had this, I got this intentionally out. I thought, I'm gonna respond to last week's sermon. I'm getting my hair done this week. I've been building a relationship with this person for a while and I'm gonna give her this card and invite her to church on Sunday. And I got up there, I had it in my wallet and she didn't check me out. It was somebody else. And I could have done it to that person, but I just, I forgot the moment because <laughs> I was gonna give it to Danielle. And, and I still have my card. But Stan says, well, you could take it back to her. So I'm gonna give it to her next time. I, I will, and it, but you know what? Sometimes we miss it. I miss it, you miss it. But are we trying and praying and anticipating those opportunities? And then lastly, does God have your heart in all areas, including your finances? Would God be able to say to you, why are you cheating me? I know it's a tough one, but God can be trusted. He's up for the test, are you? Will you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, you are such a good and giving God. We know that you loved us and therefore you gave to us your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we wouldn't be here if it was not for that. And we praise you and thank you for that. May our lives be a reflection of our appreciation and our gratitude for all you have entrusted to us, for our very life, for our skills, for our breath, for our jobs, for our families. Father, we just commit them all to you. Father, we thank you for the way that you provide in this place so that we can take your word, your gospel, to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus commanded us to do. Father, we pray that everything that is given in this place, whether it be time or talents or possessions or whatever it may be, that we would use all for your glory and your glory alone. May we have the mind of Christ in us as we continue to serve you so that the whole world may know that you love them and then find the hope that you can multiply in each and every life. All of this we commit to you because we know you love us. By your Holy Spirit, we just pay you, pray for your power in this place. In Christ's name, amen.